Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Oh, yeah. Come on, OJs. That's what I'm talking about. Way to bring us in alongside Dr. Wendy Bees from the University of Miami. I am Jason Jackson, television host, courtside reporter, NBA radio host, Carnival Barker. Terrell Jackson can't stand when I refer to myself as a Carnival Barker, Dr. Bees. I don't understand why. I don't know. You're the best in the biz, man. I tell you when to come in the tent. I tell you what you're enjoying inside of the tent. I let you know it's time to get out of the tent and when to come back. I don't know what that is other than a carnival barker. And I love to be alongside barking with Dr. D. Uh, her knowledge of sports business, marketing, sponsorships uh, tickles my fancy. And so people think that I'm a one-trick pony, Doc. But I like to get in here and dig inside our business together. I'm glad we're doing it again. You ready to get to the first topic? Ready to go. With a decision on the remainder of the NBA season, not coming until May at the earliest, and team facilities closed to players and staff indefinitely, uh, Commissioner Silver has added that he'll make no decision on the possibility of completing the regular season before beginning the playoffs if play is resumed in the coming months. So there's a lot on the commissioner's table. On top of these negotiations, we're kind of hearing about as it pertains to how much salary is coming back. Uh, What do you think is weighing most heavily with the commissioner in the sense of making this call in and around May 1st? And as we take this just a a bit over two weeks from now. I think – Commissioner Silver may be one of the most realistic people in all of sports right now. He just seems to really be taking, you know, his time with this, taking in the information. He never really commits to when anything is going to start back. And I just find it really refreshing as a leader that he tends to put out these these dates in accordance with the information that we get about what's going on with the pandemic. So I wasn't surprised at all that he basically said, relax, there's not gonna be a decision in April. And then he went on to say, and that doesn't mean the decision will come May 1st. Mm -hmm. So no decision is gonna be made at least until May. Um, You know, there's, there's a lot to be processed. And I think he's even coming to the realization it it may be more likely that the season does not get finished, more likely that it doesn't finish than it does. We should note that Commissioner Silver admitted that there does come a point in which we start impacting next season. If the shutdown extends too deep into the summer months, the league is considering different scenarios to finish the 2019-20 season, which, by the way, uh, was slated to finish um, as we present this to the world on Wednesday, uh, which is exactly the middle of April. Um, 
and, and what you're what they're considering among many things is include playing games with no fans in attendance the possibility of fanless games were already being discussed as a way to continue the season prior to the NBA's decision to suspend play last month. Um, there's the single side idea that's been discussed. Uh, there's just so much out there and the possibilities of it. You could be in Vegas, you could be in Atlantis, uh, the Chinese Basketball Association, uh, which is still working to restart its season, by the way, since they shut it down in January, uh, has also considered the clustering of teams in one or two cities, uh, which could be actually super fun and lucrative and get people working if the all clear comes, Dr. Deeps. That was, I think, the most hopeful moment when the CBA was looking at getting started again, since we're kind of lagging behind China and all of this, right? We kind of look at their timeline and then compare it to ours. And when the Chinese Basketball Association was the original league coming up with the idea of sequestering or quarantining teams in certain cities to restart their league, it, it looked hopeful that we could maybe replicate that model here and the NBA could get back on the hardwood. But then they had some cases of the virus, you know, come back as soon as people came out from under the quarantine and then they haven't started back up. And then again, that makes things look bleak. It really looks to me, Jax, and, and I'd, I'd like to hear your opinion on this, that kind of the best case scenario is that if the NBA comes back, you'd be lucky to get the, the playoffs done. First things first, I agree with you, by the way, but I, I truly believe that the key issue in all of this is responsibility. Uh, you, you have to find out the viability of – testing players and coaches and staff before you even get together. And that, and that's, you know, we're still waiting for, you know, the, the, the testing that gets you down inside a few minutes. Right. Um, so that's something you can continue to do. Right. Cause we're, let's just say you get all these teams, you get them in one location, you get them all sequestered and they just, you know, they all they can do is come from their room to the site room to the site. If there is any variance in that space, you want to be able to test quickly, uh, relatively regularly, um, and I think that's key. That's a big step before anybody can decide if you want to make this move. But, yeah, I would, I would definitely narrow the situation down uh, to the postseason. You would have a difficulty. That, that last spot in the Western Conference has so much drama right now. It, it, that's a toughie. That's the only one where I would say maybe we're going to have a little play in. But listening to LeBron James the other day on his uh, – uh, road trip and podcast uh, he feels like you got to get a good week at least of training camp and somewhere between five to ten games before you get to the playoffs and I understand where he's coming from because of, of for six months you've been ramping up that type of conditioning uh, that type of chemistry to get ready for the most important time of the year he's exactly right there's you can't just jump right back into the season like everything, you know, just ended last night. Um, but a lot of the information and a lot of the medical experts are saying that practices are just as risky as a game, obviously. Those are high contact um, situations and those would have to be monitored. And so, um, you know, that's just more time that athletes have to be together in close quarters competing. And so that just adds to the time that you need to get back sooner. 
What do they say about real estate, uh, Dr. D's? Location, location, location? 100%. The, the feasibility of this is testing, testing, testing. I truly believe that. With that being said, let's move on to our next topic. Before we get deep into the next topic, I need you to give uh, the mob squad, that's what we call the listeners of this fantastic podcast, Minding Our Business, uh, your background in the game of tennis before we even get started with our next topic. It's a critical bit of information. Yeah, so back in the day, <laughs> I used to be a pretty good tennis player. We won't okay. talk about okay. how long ago that was. Uh, but you're like, you're underplaying pretty good. Pretty good. If you're pretty good, you play down at the, at the city-owned tennis court. Come on now. No, no. I was, I was a college tennis player. I have a background as a student athlete. I was an All-American. So, yeah, I used to hit the little yellow fuzzy ball around uh, pretty well. So what was hilarious is when I sent you this story, you were hesitating. You were controlling your own biases, but you shouldn't because there is a report that Wimbledon, one of the grand, and I, listen, I'm, uh, I, I can be U.S. centric in my sports, but th this is one of, if not the most prestigious tennis tournament on this globe, Wimbledon, to receive a $140 million pandemic insurance payout please explain how this is occurring i love leadership and foresight yeah so we have to thank uh, darren ravel for this he was the first one with the uh, action sports network to get this interview uh with the uh executives at, at wimbledon about this payout but wimbledon has been paying for the last 17 years <laughs> two million dollars a year for this event loss insurance which that in and of itself is not super surprising jacks anyone who puts on a major global sporting event like this has insurance but what was so surprising is that theirs covers a loss due to a pandemic and so they paid the $2 million a year for the last 17 years, and now they will reap the rewards of this $141 million payout to help them cover the loss of Wimbledon this year, which is wonderful for them. That part is great. Uh, I guess the bad news is that that's going to barely cover half of what they lose not having Wimbledon for just one year. But I guess, that's you know, having strong. half of that money is is better than nothing, which a lot of events have right now. You and I have been discussing that, what, the last three weeks. Exactly. So kudos to the All England Lawn Tennis Club for nailing it down. So they paid out $34 million. So they're, they're netting over 110, or just around 110, I should say. Uh, and as you said, it's not going to cover all the losses, but, man, this is so much better than what it was going to be, right? Um, Wimbledon scheduled uh, from June 29th to July 12th, and, and there's just no feeling that's going to get done. You have to think that other events are looking at them now thinking, wow, how did you get that done? Or, you know, can't believe that language was worked into their agreement 17 years ago who was thinking about that and who was discussing that because you and I have talked about the fact in the last what three pods right. that even the folks who do have policies that cover loss of events you know attorneys are looking over these contracts and saying well you know pandemics are not 
specifically in the wording of the contract and you may not be able to get your money. So this is finally good news for the biggest, most prestigious event in tennis, but also one of the biggest global sporting events of the summer every year. I think even if you don't follow tennis year to year, you're wanting to watch Roger and Serena and, and all the big names compete in Wimbledon. And so you know this tournament and you know how big it is. And they're getting almost $150 million back to help them handle those losses uh, for this year's event. The Action Network also reports, now this is so very British, I love this, that Royal and Ancient, the organization that oversees the British Open Golf Championship, which has been canceled for the year, which by the way, if I'm not mistaken, it's the only golf major that's been canceled. The other ones have been rescheduled, but we, we know now why the RNA felt comfortable uh, letting that situation go, because they too also have pandemic insurance. What, what company is doing this? Okay, I can tell you which company does it, but I don't want to get myself in trouble. They might be a sponsor someday. But. Now, Jax, how, how thick is the irony that the UK has one of the worst uh, situations right now with the pandemic? I mean, us in the UK are battling it out for worse prepared for this, you know, the most cases and people dying, but yet the events over there have this pandemic insurance. Does that make any sense? Uh, listen, I try to make no sense. Well, first of all, it makes a lot of sense since the turn into dollars. Okay, that's the, that's the type of sense. That's the that only sense, made. dollars exactly. and cents. That's pretty astonishing, but, uh, but kudos to them. Uh, we're we're going to change gears totally. And, and Wendy, are you excited? We have a very, we, we have a first coming up. Are you ready? I'm so pumped. Oh, this is, this is. It, the when you told me this, it was the biggest <laughs> smile on my face. Next headline. We welcome to the program. First time, and I'm going to say maybe longtime fan of the podcast, even though it's short-lived. Uh, we welcome to Minding Our Business, uh, the champion, the Hall of Famer, the television star. Put your hands together wherever you are for Ruth Riley Hunter. Yes. Come on, they're doing it. Yes, exactly. Ruth, are you there? I am here and really excited to be joining you guys. Oh, we hope you feel that way in the next five minutes. That's the key. <laughs> it's the other side of this. That could all change very quickly, my friend. So uh, Dr. D's Ruth, Ruth, Dr. D's. I don't know if you all have met, but now you have. Uh, so Ruth was good enough and, and, and trust me enough to start just we were brainstorming about things surrounding the WNBA. We discuss all their business endeavors right here on uh, this platform. And Ruth, I'll, I'll give the floor to you so you can toss an idea to, uh, to this foremost authority on, on marketing and sponsorships in the world of sports. But it was really cool, you being a, a champion and a legend in that, uh, in that league, uh, really concerned about this wonderful opportunity and next step that's right in front of the W. Well, thanks, Jax. Uh, it was fun to, to just share some ideas with you around the W, something that I'm always passionate about. And so, Wendy, we'd love to hear your thoughts, because as I was reflecting on the landscape of sport right now, the WNBA is always fighting for positioning. They have a new CEO heading into a new CBA, and this was set up to be uh, really a, a, a landmark kind of start, but now they're, in my eyes, looking at competing with every professional sport for uh, scheduling time for TV, for sponsorship. 
um, down the line. And so they, I think they find themselves um, in, a, in a really difficult situation moving forward. And so I thought, how can they use this time in a way that they haven't been able to before? Because there is obviously this pause in sports, um, you know, so much attention in social media and, and how can they attack something that I think is uh, something they need to really focus on. And that is, you can't bring in revenue right now, but you can attack the bias in sports and how you do that through marketing um, and the platforms and whether it's co-branding with the MG. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Or how do you solidify a, a, a better place in the sports world when it comes to branding? Well, you make a great point, Ruth, about the timing of it is so tough because, you know, the WNBA normally capitalizes on kind of this downtime in the summer when everyone's, you know, really watching some different types of sports. The, the WNBA always gets eyeballs in the summer. Um, women's softball is another sport that garners a lot of attention in the summer. So the timing of the season really helps and it's tough now that that window is going to pass. You're exactly right. But what I would say is that I also think the shutdown during the pandemic from a business and marketing perspective kind of levels the playing field for everyone. No one's playing. Everybody's searching for sport content. People are not as concerned about scores and stats and you know, people are wanting to learn the stories about the players. What are they doing, you know, in their in their lives out outside of basketball or whatever the particular sport may be? And so I really think that there's an opportunity for the WNBA now to put out content on the players, kind of give a peek behind the curtain and really tell the story of either the league or the players, or whatever the narrative is that they always want to get out there that normally gets overshadowed by the other leagues and all of the different games. So I think this could be a really great opportunity. So and the, the point I'm making in this is just last night, I saw that the NFL was putting out some content on, on Twitter, and they were interviewing NFL players and coaches about whether or not they believe in aliens. And I was like, wow, the content well has just run dry. If this is what the NFL is putting out right now, everybody has a chance to get in here and tell their story because I mean, that's, that's what people are doing to get their, their players in front of people. And this wonderful opportunity all begins on Friday uh, if not before, Ruth, uh, with the uh, WNBA draft having this wonderful platform on ESPN, uh, with all of it happening in you know, these remote locations and everybody being tapped in and wired into ESPN, very much like the uh, NFL draft. So it's an, a wonderful platform. I remember it like it was 19 years ago, that, that fantastic white headband 
radiating out of South Bend after being the Big East Player of the Year, the Sports Illustrated Player of the Year, the NCAA Final Four most outstanding player, the NCAA champion, the Naismith Player of the Year, the two-time first-team All-American. We only have down, 30 minutes, Jack. <laughs> coming down to the western shore of Biscayne Bay. What do you remember most about that day, Ruth, uh, when your name was called after uh, our buddy Ron Rothstein put your name in as his pick? It's just a surreal moment. I mean, obviously you're thinking through all the teams and the scenarios, um, but to experience that dream, I was a first class going into college that knew the WNBA was an option when I graduated. So to be there with my, my mom and to hear my name and just realize how little I knew about Miami at the time, um, but how excited I was to really start this next chapter of my career. And you had no idea that this encore career was going to be as delicious, did you? You had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea all that Miami would entail and and that I would be circling back here to, to have this wonderful opportunity to hang out with you and, and now talk hoops on the different side. That's awesome. Ruth, we move quickly here on the, the pod. We want to keep people locked in and we're going to roll to our next headline, but thank you for the time. Thanks, Jackson, Mindy. Thanks, Ruth. It was awesome having you. Next headline. Next headline takes us to the cities, Dr. D's, that have these major sporting events that are coming down the avenue. Uh, obviously, we've talked over the last year plus about the impact of Super Bowls, the impact of Final Fours. We've got uh, one of our Florida cities, Tampa, and one of the great Midwestern cities, Indianapolis, that have major events. Don't, don't, don't hesitate in chalking off the list that's coming for these locations and letting folks know how the road ahead is going to be impacted by what we're experiencing right now. Well, we'll start off by saying anytime we talk about e economic impact numbers, you know, it's always uh, a disclaimer that these numbers are coming from the cities that host these major events. You know, economic impact numbers are always known to be a little bit inflated, but the bottom line is that these cities don't host these mega sporting events unless they make the city good money, and they do. They bring in hundreds of thousands uh, or millions of visitors, depending on which event you're talking about. Businesses, you know, booming for the weeks around those events. And it's a major boon for these communities to have these people in their area at these times. And of course, now with everything getting pushed back further and further, these major sporting events have the most people <laughs> crammed in the smallest space. So um, it's looking more and more like some of these may be at risk for not happening. But you mentioned Tampa. They're obviously on deck for the Super Bowl. Woo, Miami got their Super Bowl in under the wire. It's kind of crazy to think about that now. We got that done. And then, you know, right when all of this was kind of hitting. But, you know, Tampa, I'm sure, is sweating a little bit. Uh, Super Bowl next year, but then Indianapolis has a number of big events coming up. So um, they have the final four coming up. They've got your 2021 NBA All-Star game. Come on. Now. And I mean, I know we're looking a little far into the uh, uh, the future here, but college football playoff championship in 2022. And the reason why we're talking about these is because combined all of these events just for Indianapolis 
they are projecting about $475 million in economic impact to the city from hosting those events. So 225 million they expect to get from the final four, you know, based on some previous projections, $100 million uh, from your folks at the NBA when they come to town for all-star break and 150 million for the college football playoff championship. So there's a lot of money that these cities stand to lose as the pandemic goes on. That's astonishing. They need to uh, call over a season, get that uh, insurance squared away, which by the way, I assume <laughs> right. the pandemic and, and epidemic uh, rates probably just went through the roof. Yeah, they, they ain't getting it for $2 million like Wimbledon did. That price just went way up. Uh, so you're talking about, uh, for both cities, uh, that's, uh, let's not say in the balance, let's be a little more optimistic, but we're talking about a half billion dollars of cash that radiates through your town, right, with all of this piling up. Yes, yes. And, I mean, hundreds of thousands of visitors. So Indianapolis uh, was projecting 300,000 visitors through the city that now may not come or some of those events may, you know, get put on because some of them are, are two years from now. Um, some of those people may come, but you have to think, Jax, just going forward, you and I have talked about all the experts are predicting that live sporting event audiences are going to shrink dramatically. And so even if these events go on, there just probably aren't going to be as many people there and these cities can't be expecting that type of cash flow through their municipalities at this point. We will hope beyond hope uh, that the, the right side of this, the big cash side of this is the experience for both Tampa, Indianapolis and all these towns uh, that are holding and waiting. And, and here's the one big thing we haven't got into this. Maybe we'll get into it next week. Uh, the amazing impact on the recruiting schedule that's going on uh, for summer basketball around the country uh, as many of these money-making initiatives and in travel basketball, this lucrative business are on pause. But right now, next headline. It's all about the big money and the headline we found in Sports Illustrated is as such, and I quote, we're all effed. There's no other way to look at this, is there? And we're talking about administrators around college football, talking about why the entire NCAA system could hang in the balance if there's no 2020 college football season. Take us deeper, Doc. That's a great headline, by the way, because it's what everybody is thinking and someone finally said it or wrote it or, you know, put it into existence. We've talked about this a couple times, Jax, but every time we circle back around to college football, which is the big elephant in the room right now, the outlook just gets more and more bleak. It just is looking more and more like college football may not happen. And I say that because we were just talking earlier about you can talk as much as you want about these seasons starting back up, but you have to have practice for for weeks or you know a month before the season starts. And this article talks about the fact that some of the big-time coaches have talked about the bare minimum amount of time that they have to have these athletes on campus practicing, making contact with one another, you know, in the heat, sweating, going through the playbook. They have to do that for a certain number of weeks. And 
that just means that you have to come back sooner. You don't just come back to campus and immediately, you know, kick off for the first game. It doesn't happen that way. Uh, this is going to be tough, and this is not an overstatement. I, I feel like as I look through some of the comments of, of statements from all sides as it pertains to this pandemic, there's this level of distrust about the real impact of things. I, I don't know what the uh, conspiracy folks are drinking, uh, but this is all real. Okay, all this is happening. That there, there is no fake activity going down. And turn to your nearest athletic director at a big college that you know, and he or she will let you know how real this is. We're talking about top-level programs that have had Brinks trucks backing up for years, right? That they've had the ability to build these fantastic facilities. They're paying their coaches more than what should be reasonable. Uh, they, they have revenues that are going through the roof compared to any time in the timeline of college football. Uh, while people are watching more on their streaming services and at home, uh, folks are still buying big-time seats, and the TV money is ridiculous. And this gravy train might just come to a screeching halt. It's making people's heads explode. We've talked about the media rights, Jacks. We've talked about the – sponsorship and the advertising dollars not being there. But I think the one thing that we have not touched on, and this article brought it up, is that big time Power Five athletics, that train is run by donations. And donations get piled onto that train. And that's what makes the engine run in college athletics, especially at the Power Five level. And you have to imagine with what's going on in the economy, with people losing jobs, with people being furloughed or pay reductions, that especially Power 5 Athletics, they are not going to be getting those millions and tens of millions of dollars worth of donations that do exactly what you said, Jax, that drive the state-of-the-art facilities, that enhance coaches' salaries, or you know that help with scholarships and other programs and so not only if football grinds to a halt not only will the media revenue and sponsorship revenue and all the business side revenue not be there but these donations are going to drop like a rock and that's a scary proposition for athletic departments as well and that could impact people for years and so this isn't just going to impact this upcoming season if college football doesn't start or doesn't start on time, uh, but it is going to impact athletic departments for the next number of years. It'll be so interesting to see how things are going to have to adapt if you don't have the ability to get to work in the quote unquote air quotes with a sarcastic face, uh, voluntary workouts, which are usually in June. Uh, the June and July uh, summer academic terms that are taken advantage of uh, by most athletic programs and how that's going to roll out, who gets to go, who doesn't, because of budgets, like real budgets. And um, the academic and, and the physical conditioning concern is real. Yes, Nick Saban suggested in this article that they need at least six weeks, that's the bare minimum, uh, to have these players practice and get ready. Uh, Coach Sweeney at Clemson said they need to return in July. Well, you and I just talked last pod about 
Toronto shutting down their city until July. <laughs> and so the thought of people coming back and having football practices and full contact in July, these the reports coming out about what's shutting down and when, and then the reports coming out of college football and other sports about starting back up, these conflict big time. And so it's just, like I said, it's becoming more real that college football's not, it's at least not starting on time. And that in and of itself causes a huge problem for university athletic departments. That's going to do it for our high five. So I'm going to go ahead and give us our high five. Oh, yeah. Did it again. Did it again. I put my my shoulder into it this week. I've been working out. (laughs) Dr. Dees, we appreciate the insight always. Special thanks to the champion, the Hall of Famer, Ruth Riley Hunter, for swinging by MOB. We we now know we can do it. We got to start dragging in some of your uh, old students that are superstars in this business uh, to join us and talk about some of these topics. We can do that. Oh, awesome. In the meantime, everybody always mind your business. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.